Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're starting a new series this weekend entitled, Can I Get a Witness? And we're going to be talking about, for the better part of the next two months, evangelism and our call, not just the church's call, our individual call as believers in Jesus to expand the boundaries of God's kingdom. Now, this message that I'm starting this series with is going to shock some of you. Uh, so let me try and help you understand how I want you to handle this message, all right? Last weekend, my oldest son was in service with me, and, and during worship, I looked over at him, and he wasn't singing at all. I, I mean, he just, I mean, a blank face. And I put my arm around him, and I said, hey, bro, uh, why, why aren't you worshiping? And we, we worship, bro. And he goes, Daddy, I don't know the song. And like with this really panicked look on his face. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me that's what most adults are thinking too. That when we introduce a new song, many of us will hear this new song being sung and immediately we jump to, I hate this song. <laughs> you don't know that you hate this song. You don't even know this song. I hate this song. And here's what's funny. When we introduce a great song, at the beginning, you don't know the song, you think you hate the song, but by the end of the song, you love it so much, you get in your car, go home, download it on the way, and listen to that song a hundred times over the next seven days. Why? Because great songs are meant to be sung. But we can't just keep singing the same old songs. We've got to be constantly learning new ones. And this weekend, for many of you, what this is going to be is me teaching you a new song. Now, let me give you the motivation for why we need to learn this song, and then I'll tell you what the song is. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, listen to this exchange between Jesus and Peter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. In other words, if you love me, here's what I need you to do. Feed my lambs. Prove that you love me. Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. If you love me, ten, care for my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Okay, this is a really important passage of scripture for all of us relating to many things, not just feeding the sheep, and caring for the sheep. 
Jesus is saying to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, absolutely, you know that I love you. And Jesus then says, then do what I ask you to do. If you love me, then I need you to do this for me. Don't just tell me that you love me. Do what I ask of you. Now, the song that I want to teach you this weekend, that in my opinion, must come first as it relates to a series on evangelism. The title of this message is, To the Jew First. To the Jew First. And let me help you understand why this is such an important song to sing. Because God has been singing this song since the beginning. Let me show it to you in scripture. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you, Israel, to myself. God has been singing this song since long before man was even created. This is a song we all must learn to sing. So here's what I would ask. Please don't tune me out. Because you go, oh, I don't like this song. I, can we just have another message on anxiety like last week? I, I like songs that deal with where I am. Yep, I do too, but I also like messages that deal with God's heart. And this is what we're talking about, God's heart for the Jewish people. And this is not a head message. This is a heart message. There are not a lot of one-liners in this message. I'm trying to bring this to the bottom shelf so we can all grab it. But this is God's heart. And if I love him, here's what that means. I love what and who he loves. So let's jump into this first verse of the song about God's heart for Israel. We must understand. We must understand. Now, you see there's a dot, dot, dot there. And here's the first subpoint. We must understand the bragging must stop. We must understand as Gentile believers in Jesus that the bragging must stop. In a fallen world, we tend to give priority or extra status to the majority. I think this is part of the reason that this has happened in the church related to the Jewish people. Because on this planet right now, about 2.4 billion people identify as believers in Jesus, as Christians, all right? Only 14.4 million are Jewish. Here's what that means. 0.2% of the planet is Jewish. 33% identify as Christians. And here's what happens whether we realize it or not. Oftentimes, we get to a place where we just do the math and we go, well, there's way more of us than them, so that must mean we matter more than them. Not to God. We all matter just the same. Let me show you, this is a really calibrating scripture in Romans chapter 11, that for us as Gentile believers, this calibrates us and reminds us, Paul says, the bragging's got to stop. Verse 17 of Romans 11, Paul says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree some of the people of Israel 
have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Hang with me here. Listen to verse 18. But you, speaking to us as Gentile believers, you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. Preston, you are just a branch. You are not the root. This is strong. Because a lot of Christians walk around acting like we're the root. We're not. We're the branches that have been grafted in. This is a great reminder. This is the way I remember uh, what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 11. As a Gentile believer, it is wise to root for the root and remember I am not it. I am just a branch that has been grafted in to this family of God. Now think about this. What would happen to a branch if it had no root? The branch dies, right? So then why would the branch ever run around going, I'm, I'm the branch? Like we're the root. Without the root, we lose our nourishment. That's what Paul's saying. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but God, in Exodus chapter 4, makes a really strong statement. I'll tell you the statement, but let me ask you a question first. When you go all the way back to the story of the ten plagues, do any of us know why the climax of the ten plagues was God killing the firstborn in Egypt? We know that's the climax of the ten plagues, but wh why? I mean, it just seems kind of random that number 10 would be God killing the firstborn, all the firstborn of Egypt. Why? Well, in Exodus chapter 4, God says why. He says, Israel, my son, my firstborn. God, in Exodus 4, calls the Jewish people his firstborn. And he says to Pharaoh, you pick on my firstborn, I'm taking yours. That's strong language. That's, that's a father who cares for his child. But let me just say, because I know some of you are going, whoa, whoa, Preston, are you saying that, that the Jewish people, if they're the firstborn, that kind of makes it sound like they're more important than us. Okay, let me help you with a little siblingology here, all right? I'm a firstborn. When I was younger, I used to think that meant something. I would prance around my house like a peacock because I have two younger brothers, and I just kind of, I would read in Scripture and go, the firstborn got a double portion. That makes me twice as important as the rest of y'all. Look at me. Until I, I got a little bit older and realized that, if anything, my mom loved the baby more than the rest of us. Being firstborn doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. My parents didn't love the firstborn more than the others. They love all of their kids. It's the same with God. He loves all of his children. But we are not the root. We are a branch that's been grafted in, and it's important to remember that. Here's the second thing we must understand. We must understand God doesn't want them to stop being Jews. This is really important, and I, and I know it's hard to talk about, but i got to teach this, all right? Because one of the biggest misunderstandings in the church is that in order for a Jewish person 
to be saved, they must convert to Christianity. I have heard some of my own friends mistakenly, even ignorantly, ask a Jewish person if they were a Christian. Okay, let me help you understand how offensive this is. But, but let me give you Romans chapter 10 to help you understand that many of us actually think this way. Okay, Romans 10 talks about what we must do. And it says, if you confess with your mouth that you are a Christian and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be a Christian. Is that what it says? Hey, way to go, theologians. That's not what it says, is it? That's how we act, though. That's how we act, but that's not what Romans 10 says. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. We don't need Jewish people to become Christians. We need them to become believers in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And it is quite offensive for a Christian to walk up to a Jewish person and say, are you a Christian? This is going to be a little hard for some of you to hear. But because I want you to remember this, and I don't ever want you to be guilty of this faux pas ever again with your Jewish friends, I want to help you understand what it's like. Saying to a Jewish person that in order to be saved, in order to be a citizen of this kingdom, they must become a Gentile Christian is the equivalent of saying to a Hispanic person seeking citizenship in this country that in order to be a citizen here, your skin better be white. I know that's a strong statement. I also know that none of you would make it. And if you would, see me after the service and let me read you a few Bible verses. You would never say that. that, that that's beyond ignorant. That's flat out disrespectful. White people don't have a monopoly on this country. They might act like it from time to time, but they don't. In the same way, Gentiles do not have a monopoly on the kingdom of God. It's his, not ours. We should be grateful to be a part of it. And we've got to understand, in the same way that you would never say to someone from another country with a different skin color that in order to be a citizen of this country, you have to change your skin to be white. That's the same thing as saying to a Jewish person, if you want to be saved, you've got to become a Gentile Christian. Not true. Not true. And I think it's important to understand. Let me show you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Because th this is a passage, I know some of you haven't really heard this teaching before, but the one new man, this is the passage. And it's talking about Jew and Gentile. Let me read it to you because I've heard many Christians take this passage and turn it into, see, there's more of us than them. And if we're supposed to become one new man, they have to look like us, talk like us, dress like us, worship like us, eat like us. 
Let me read it to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, the hatred and the separation between the two. I have friends who, who uh, they're different theological persuasions, and, and we get in the conversation about this passage, and they'll, they'll take Galatians chapter 3, and uh, Galatians chapter 3, they, they attach to this, and they say, well, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, let me help us all understand this because I've heard this argument for a really long time. This is talking about our standing before God, not our standing before one another. Now think about it like this. When my wife and I got married, the Bible says we became one, right? Okay, in the same way that it's talking about Jew and Gentile becoming one in Christ Jesus. Holly and I became one. Does that mean that when we become one, that Holly now has to dress like a man, talk like a man, walk like a man, fight like a man, be like a man? Is that what being one means? No. In fact, you, you know what I've really come to love about my wife? The beauty of her individual identity. The longer we're together, the more I fall in love with her individual identity. Becoming one doesn't mean she has to become me or I have to become her. It means we come together completely in a spirit of unity, each bringing our individual identities to the table. That's what one new man looks like. In other words, we don't need the Jewish people to look like us, dress like us, talk like us, eat like us, worship like us. Now think about this. Jesus never renounced or ran from his Jewishness. Never. He was born Jewish on this earth. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Just like Jewish tradition. He stayed in the tradition. On his 13th birthday, he celebrated his bar mitzvah. Jesus followed the law of Moses. Jesus wore the prayer shawl that Moses commanded Jewish men to wear. And when Jesus was crucified, they put a sign above his head that read what? King of the Jews. If Jesus had run from his Jewishness, they never would have called him that. Jesus didn't renounce his Jewishness. Neither does he ask any Jewish person to renounce theirs when they believe in him. Here's the second point. We must care. We must care. Now, how many of you would say that when you look at your walk with God, that three of the most uh, helpful people that you have built your walk with God around would be God, Jesus, and Paul. How many of you would say those three are in your top ten of people that help you in your walk with God? Just put your hand up. Okay, 
three pretty solid individuals, right? Okay, I want to show you how they cared for the Jewish people to help you understand, in many other ways, you're, you're wrapping your, your life with God around these three people and what they teach. But it's, it's like in this area, we run away from it. Well, let's, let's talk about Paul. Paul cared deeply for the Jewish people. For those of you that are parents, think back to the last time that one of your children said to you, Mommy, Daddy, I really want such and such. And what do they do to let you know how badly they want it? They tell you what they would do to get it or what they would give up to get it, right? So in our house, uh, it kind of goes like this. Daddy, Daddy, I, I really, really want this game. Okay, well, how, how badly do you want it? Well, I want this game so badly, Daddy, that I will treat my brother amazingly for a week. Well, bro, you really don't want this game then because that's not a big deal. And if he steps it up a notch and he says, okay, daddy, daddy, I really want this game. How badly do you want it? I will clean my room for a month to get this game. Okay, that, now we're talking. I mean, you haven't cleaned your room in a year, so this is good. <laughs> but here's one of the big kickers. I know they really want something if they say, daddy, 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 I really want this thing. How badly do you want it? I will clean the dog's poop for a year. <laughs> you really want this thing, right? We measure how badly someone wants something by what they're willing to do to get it or what they're willing to give up to receive it. Now remember that as we read this next passage in Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Here, here's what, if you break this down in the original language, here's what Paul is saying. Now what I'm about to, to tell you sounds crazy, but I swear it. I swear it by Messiah. I swear it by my own soul. And I swear it by the Holy Spirit. This is how strongly he is saying this. And listen to what he says. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ or separated from Jesus. For my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul says, here's how deeply I care for the Jewish people. I wish it was, it was possible for me to be eternally separated from God if it meant that they could be saved. He's saying, not that he would clean up the dog's poop for a year. He's saying he would give up his own salvation if he could. That's how deeply he cares. Paul cared for the Jewish people. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus did too. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, 
but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again. This is an important verse of scripture. Jesus says, you will never see me again until you, speaking to the Jewish people, until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Think about this. Here's how deeply Jesus cared. He said, I will not come back until all of you are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want you all to be saying it. In Luke 19, Jesus is coming down into Jerusalem and he begins weeping. He breaks. There are only two recorded times in scripture where Jesus weeps. One is when his friend Lazarus dies and the other is in Luke 19. He's coming down into Jerusalem and he starts weeping and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, it breaks my heart. You're not ready for your visitation. I wish that you would receive me, but you're not ready to. And it broke his heart. Listen, I know you care about Jesus. I know you love Jesus. But the question we have to answer is, how much do I love him? Do I love him so much that I love what he loves? Do I love him so much that I love whom he loves? Jesus wept for the Jewish people. And in fact, he even said at one point, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was on mission because he cared. Paul cared, Jesus cared. Let's look at God. God does care, present tense. Not did care, God does care. Zechariah chapter two, verse eight. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you, speaking of Israel, touches the apple of his eye. This is what love sounds like. He who messes with you messes with the apple of my eye. Many, many different times. God professed his love in scripture for the Jewish people. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says, not just Abraham, but to all of his descendants, the Jewish people, he says, I will bless those who bless you. Now, I have heard this twisted a little bit and, and used a bit manipulatively. I've heard some uh, Christian teachers stand up and say, how many of you want to be blessed? And of course, everybody puts their hands up. Well, if you want to be blessed, you better bless the Jewish people. Okay, that to me is the equivalent of saying, how many of you like sex with your spouse? Of course, everyone's going to raise their hand. Okay, if you want that, here's what you have to do to get it. Okay, that's not what love sounds like. That is involved in love. But you see, love is obsessed with the motivation behind behavior. Manipulation isn't. And let me give you a different way to see Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I believe in it, God is saying, here's how much I care about you. Israel 
Anyone who blesses you, I'm going to bless. 0.2% of the world, a forgotten people. And listen, many people ask, why, why did God choose Israel as his nation? I'll tell you why I think. Because God wanted a flagship nation, not to point out his behavior, but to point to his behavior. His grace, his faithfulness, his love, his power. To one of the smallest nations there is. God says, I see you. I notice you. This is encouragement for those of us who feel forgotten. I see you, and here's how I feel about you. I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. It's the equivalent of a daddy saying to one of his children, every time you bless your sibling, I'm going to bless you because I care for my kids. Here's the third point. We must do our part. We must do our part as Gentile believers in Jesus. Now, there are two things that I believe we're especially to do. And the first one's going to surprise you and take some of you. Uh, it's just, it's going to come out of left field a little bit, all right? Here's the first role the Bible says we have to play as it relates to the Jewish people. Our part involves arousing their jealousy. Arousing their jealousy. Now, some translations use the word provoke, to provoke them to jealousy. But I don't really like that word because when I hear the, the word provoke, I think back to my childhood when my middle brother would provoke me into a fight, you know? He'd be push that button. That one brother knew the button to push to provoke me to a really ugly response. So I don't like that word provoke. I, some translations use the word arouse, and that's a much more romantic word, to arouse. It, their jealousy. Let me show you. This was part of God's plan from the beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 32, all the way back in the Old Testament, verse 21. God says, they, speaking of the Jewish people, have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. Speaking of the Gentiles, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now, if you skip over ahead to Romans chapter 11 in the New Testament, verse 11, Paul says this, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he, God, wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Okay, what does this look like? It doesn't look like it did when we were kids when one of us would have a really awesome toy and to make our siblings jealous, we would play with it really loudly right in front of their face. Keep check, I got this toy, you don't. Okay, that's rubbing it in their face. Here's what arousing their jealousy looks like. Loving God the Father with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Loving Christ the Son with all all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and loving the Holy Spirit with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, no matter who's around. And this was God's plan from the beginning, that we as Gentile believers in Jesus would love on him and on them 
in such a way that they would look at us and go, not, well, that's my toy. No, that's not the goal. The goal is that we would live and love God and them in such a way that they would watch us loving him and worshiping him and say, I can have that too. Yes, you can. Through Jesus the Messiah, you can have that too, just like I can. Okay, this is a part of our role as Christians. It isn't to play with the toy in their face and rub it in. It is to worship our God and love him and them in such a way that they say, I want that too. And here's the last thing and the most important role we have to play. It's to take the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. To the Jew first. We forget this part. It doesn't mean they are more important than us or we are more important than them. God loves all of his children. But as Christians, we have a responsibility. And we know we're supposed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we're also called to reach the Jewish people. You might be wondering, why is this message, the first message, in a series on evangelism? It's not just that one verse to the Jew first. Let me read you one more, and we'll be done. Romans chapter 11, verse 12. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. Here's what Paul is saying. If their rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ meant our salvation as Gentiles, can you even wrap your mind around what will happen around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ when the Jewish people begin to receive their Messiah? You want to talk about revival. That revival will be unstoppable. And this is why in a city like Scottsdale, in a city like Tempe, in all of these surrounding cities, we can't just walk by our Jewish brothers and sisters with a blind eye. We are called to love, to reach. When I was preparing this message this week, it's going through a lot of stuff. I mean, there's, to try and narrow this down to 35 minutes, there's just so much ground to cover. And, and I know many people haven't heard much teaching at all on God's heart for the Jewish people. And at one point this week, I said to the Lord, I, I feel totally unqualified to preach this message, God. <laughs> you know, God, I don't know if he does this with you, but he, a little sarcastically, he responded and he said, you should feel that way every week. <laughs> Not just this week. You're unqualified every week, buddy. In your own strength. But son, I am your qualification. I qualify you. And this is my heart. And I'll be with you. 
Lord, I, I don't know how to end this message. I mean, there's so many different ways I could end this thing. But how do I land the plane? And I felt like the Lord said this. Preston there once was an incredible man. So incredible was this man that while he walked this earth, he did so perfectly. He never stumbled. He never fell. He was an amazing man. This man, Preston, is, was the type of man that you would say, I would jump off a bridge for that man. And Preston, this man loved his bride and loved his family. He had no biological children of his own. But every day of his life, he cared for his family in an extravagant way. Son, he came for two reasons, his bride and his family. And this incredible man went on a really long trip. And Preston, before he left, here's what he said to you. I'm going on a long journey, and I will return. But while I'm gone, I want to know, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then here's what I need you to do while I'm gone. Do everything you can to care for my bride. And do everything you can to care for my family. If you love me, do that. You know who that incredible man is. His name is Jesus. And he's asking each one of us. Before he returns, he's still away on that long journey, but he will come back. And he is saying to each one of us, do you love me? Just like he said to Peter, do you love me? And I hope we're all saying, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then do everything you can while I'm gone to care for my bride, the church. And do everything you can to take care of my family, the Jewish people. If you love me, do everything you can to make sure they are ready for my return. If you love me, do that for me. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.